Welcome to the Tuesday Night Bible Study. We are in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 8. We just prayed and now we are about to dive in to Matthew chapter 8. What we just came through was Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which is the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, so the little backstory for where we are here, the Gospels, there are four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're all biographies of the Lord Jesus, basically. They each tell their own unique sides of things. They're not exactly the same, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the most similar. They're called synoptics because you can sort of synchronize them. Matthew, so far, what we've seen is we're learning about who Jesus is. In the early chapters, we learned of his genealogy, that it is no ordinary genealogy. He's a Jew, and he is in the line of David, both on his mother's side and his father's side, so that he's qualified to be king of Israel. Now, there were others that had similar genealogies, but he's qualified in terms of his genealogy. He's also qualified because of his father, which is not Joseph. It's God himself. We learned that. Uh, early in the first couple of chapters of Matthew as well, that he has a virgin birth with a human mother and God the Father as his father. Amazing. Matthew wants you to know that he's qualified in so many ways for the job of Messiah and that he is God in a man's body. So we've seen that. We've also seen John the Baptist, a forerunner who says that Jesus is the promised one and that we are to hear him. We've seen Jesus' baptism where the Father testified, this is my beloved Son, remember that, and the Holy Spirit descended on them. Interesting, you got the whole Trinity there uh, in one shot. Now we've read the, the Constitution or the moral character of the kingdom in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, and we've learned that it's such a high moral standard that we, to follow him, need a Savior. We can't do it on our own. It's not a philosophy that we could follow on our own. Now, Matthew believes Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus believes Jesus is the Messiah. But as we said last week, you've heard this saying, talk is cheap. Anybody can say anything. I could tell you I'm the greatest tennis player in the world, and until you see me winning every tournament, can't be true. Talk is cheap. The proof will be in the rest of this book. So Matthew, keep in mind, uh, the book is not chronological. Sometimes Matthew groups things together to prove his point. The point he's about to prove in the next couple of chapters is another proof that Jesus is God and is the Messiah is he can do mirac miraculous things that nobody else can do. We're going to start with healings um, in Matthew chapter 8. So we're going to see him showing authority over physical disease, over physical life itself, over the devil and demons, over nature, by calming storms, walking on water. Eventually he will ascend to heaven. We'll see his omniscience, that he knows all things. Uh, and he even has the authority to deal with death, even his own death as a man. So there's 10 miracles, and we say in this Bible study a lot that Jesus 
is, among other things, one who can heal disease, sickness, right? And that is not the main purpose he came here. He does not, I'll show you, does not want to be learned at, want to be known as Jesus the healer. Because if you come to see <clears throat> Jesus the healer, and he gives a big long sermon, you know what you're going to be saying? Could you wrap it up? We're here for the healing, right? And the sermon is the thing we got to learn from him, his words. So 10 miracles we're going to see in a row that prove that talk isn't cheap for him. He is who he said he was. Isaiah 29, Isaiah 35, the Messiah is predicted to heal blind eyes, deaf ears, lame legs, other ailments. We'll see if Jesus can uh, pull it off. <clears throat> so I know that you're awake. Say amen. Amen. Good one. Those of you on Zoom, amen from Zoom land. I love that little sign. Wave. I see you folks halfway around the world in Vanuatu. Welcome. God bless you. All right. Luke uh, has a similar incident here or the same incident. He's going to give us additional information, but let's dive into Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. We started this last week, or we'll just review it again. What do you mean down from the mountainside? Chapter 5, verse 1, he goes up on a mountainside to give the Sermon on the Mount. He's up there for chapter 5, 6, and 7, giving that sermon. He's coming down from the mountainside, um, that same mountainside where that sermon was done. Um, notice that large crowds followed him. Verse 2, a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Let's take this apart verse by verse, if you will. Um, in Luke's gospel, he mentions that this guy doesn't just have leprosy. He mentions that he's full of leprosy. Okay, so we need to talk a little bit about leprosy. It's now today called Hansen's disease. Today, there are treatments for leprosy. In those days, there were none, no treatments for leprosy. It was an incurable, eventually deadly disease, could take as much as 20 years to kill the person with leprosy. And um, so the way the disease would start is numbness in the extremities, hands, feet, toes, soles of the feet, numbness. And then eventually sores on the body and it's the kind of the rotting away of the skin. Internally, the nerves are attacked. Some of the ladies are already grimacing. The nerves are, sorry, the nerves are attacked as well and feeling is lost um, for a, a leper. So it's a horrible disease. It was sort of a living death. But maybe, 
just as bad as the way a person would look with leprosy, maybe just as bad was what it did to that person socially. A leper became, listen, a total outcast. You are a married man or woman and you have leprosy, you can't live at home anymore. You can't be around anyone. It's a very contagious disease. So lepers would not even be allowed in the city, in the camp, in town. You have to go out. Other lepers you might find be homeless, live under trees, whatever. It was complete being completely outcast from society, listen, and for obvious reasons, from the temple. You can't worship as a Jew anymore. So um, the rule was when people are anywhere near you as a leper, you, the leper, have to shout, unclean, unclean, meaning I am unclean, keep away from me. Extremely embarrassing, extremely isolating, just a sad living death, if you will, for a leper. Um, it's an ugly picture as well. So um, if the wind was not blowing, you could get as close as six feet to a leper. Social distancing in the New Testament. But if the wind, get this, was blowing, the leper had to keep 150 feet away from people. So, uh, completely isolating, um, yelling unclean. Uh, let's see, we talked about that. So, eventually, fingers, toes, even feet and hands start to fall off, appendages. Um, it's the rotting away of the flesh. Just a horrible, horrible thing. So, we got to look at this leper. He does not have a name, and yet I'm going to ask you before long, who is this guy? Okay, look at verse 1. Verse 2, sorry. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him. First of all, where is he? He's come down from the mountainside. Is he alone? No, the disciples are with him. Huge crowds are following him. Okay? I want you to picture a huge crowd of people all around Jesus. And I want you to picture the crowd parting like the Red Sea as this leper has the audacity and the boldness to walk into society. Everybody is parting, right? They can't believe it's a leper. You can hear people whispering. This leper approaches Jesus. I want you to notice how he approaches him. First things first, what does he do? Came and in Greek, proskuneo before him. It's the Greek word for knelt. It's a, the same word for worshiped. It's the same word for bowed down. We don't know whether he knelt or he bowed down with his face to the ground, but he's showing worship, isn't he? First things first, worship. Second thing, then he speaks. First word, Kyrios, Lord. In a general language sense, in Greek, it means Sir, Lord. 
It, it's, it's just a, uh, an address of respect in a normal, respectful situation. If I was a 10-year-old boy and addressing an adult I didn't know, I might call him Kyrios, Lord. But in a religious sense, the Old Testament was translated, we said last week, into the Septuagint, 70 Sept. 70 Greek scholars got together who were Jew, Jews, translated the uh, Hebrew Old Testament into Greek. It's called the Septuagint translation. That's the one everybody was using then. Every time the name of God appears or the word Adonai appears, which is Greek, uh, which is sorry, Hebrew for Lord, they substitute the word Kyrios, which means Lord in a religious sense. That's the sense in which he says it. It's not just sir. How do you know, Joe? Because he's kneeling or bowing down. Worship. Lord. I want you to notice. What does he say? Is this a question? No. It's a statement. Did you notice that? Would you heal me? That's not what he says. Would you make me clean? It's not what he says. He just makes a statement of faith and leaves it up to Jesus. Watch, Lord, if you are willing, this is a statement, you can, you're able to make me clean or cleanse me. Do you see that? Tremendous faith. Tremendous faith to come through the crowd. Tremendous faith to speak. I can see people moving away close to Jesus, maybe even the apostles and uh, it's pretty obvious he's got leprosy. Luke, as I said, says he's full of leprosy. If you're willing, so what's the healing dependent on? Is it Jesus' ability? No. I know you can do it, he says. If you're willing, you can make me clean. Beautiful. So do it. Now he doesn't say that. Please do it. He just leaves it up to Jesus, but he speaks great faith. If you are willing, what's the central phrase in the Lord's prayer class? Thy will be done. It doesn't get any better than God's will. Even though you don't get your will, eventually you'll see what he gave you is better. His will is better. If you're willing, you can make me clean. What does he mean? Clean up his clothes, wash his face. He means clean as in free from leprosy from head to toe so that he can worship, be a part of society again, see his family again, all of the above. It's an astounding amount of faith. He may have seen other people who were lepers healed. This is early in the ministry. I would think not. It's possible. Later on, he's going to heal 10 lepers and only one's going to come back. Do you remember that story? But here he is making a statement of great faith. He knows that Jesus can heal him. He's worshiping him by the way he addresses him, Lord, by the bowing down. And he's not demanding, he's not claiming his healing. He's just saying, you can do it. You have the ability. It's all up to your will. So this is a, an amazing amount of faith. I want you to remember how grieved this man is about how lonely he is. His life is a living hell. Remember, I'm going to ask you, who is this guy? You say his name's not there. Oh, I know. And yet it is there. Okay. So 
He worships in posture. He worships in his word, Lord, master. Uh, it's like calling him Yahweh, God, Old Testament word. The way he asks is so humble, great humility, respect of Jesus's power, all up to you. Your will be done. That's basically what he's saying. And I know you could do it. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane says a similar thing. Do you remember? If it's possible, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. Jesus himself says it to the Father. Okay. Before we move on, who is this guy? It's you. It's me. You say, I never had leprosy. Me either. But spiritually, leprosy has isolated him vertically from God, right? Can't worship. I mean, he could pray by himself, but he can't worship with other believers. He can't make a sacrifice, which is required every year in Judaism. So he's an outsider to God, isn't he? It's, he he's isolated horizontally from other human beings, even the ones who used to be his best friends, wife, whatever, parents, we don't know how old he was, kids maybe, completely isolated. It's a picture of you and I in the unsaved state as sinners, hopeless. That's what he is. He's got one hope, which is Jesus. That's correct. It's a picture of us in that state. We are living physically, but spiritually, spiritually we are dead and dying, okay? Um, we're, in a sense, rotting away with our sin. Um, in Isaiah, leprosy is equated with sin as a picture, by the way, of sin, so I'm not making this up. Um, he needs a miracle. He's, sin is also contagious, right? I would hang around other sinners, and we would infect each other with more sin and get drunk or whatever we were doing, stealing, whatever it may be. It's a disease that corrupts the victim, isolates them vertically, horizontally. It's a living death, a hopeless situation. What sinners have to do is what he did. What did he do? Come to Jesus, first of all. But it might be embarrassing to come forward at a meeting, at a church thing, and does anybody here want to receive Jesus? Oh, it's so embarrassing. Do they have to embarrass me? Here he comes, leprosy and all. Maybe every other word is unclean as he's walking up. He's got to come to Jesus. He's got to bow. The sinner has to bow and worship him and call him Lord. If I call Jesus Lord, that job what job? The job of being my boss, master, Lord is taken. There's no dual lordship where I'm Lord some of the time and he is some of the time. He's saying, you are the boss of me, the Lord of me. He professes faith that Jesus can make him clean. As a sinner, that's what you did when you came to Christ. Not for leprosy, but from sin and guilt. And, and he does, of course. The beautiful thing is, He's willing. The Jews believed in their writings that healing a leper was the only thing harder was raising the dead. 
in the Old Testament in Leviticus 14, in case anybody ever did heal leprosy, one guy, Naaman, was healed of leprosy in the Old Testament. If case anybody ever was healed, there was prescribed in Leviticus 14 the sacrifices that needed to be made because you can't just say, well, I'm healed from leprosy. I'm coming back to the temple. No, you have to go to a priest at the temple who would inspect you head to toe, and he would have to certify you really are healed of leprosy. They would actually write you a certificate that you could put on your wall, but I have a feeling you'd carry it around and go, look, not I'm an ex-leper now. Okay. Who is this? It's a picture of every sinful human being. Verse 3. Verse 2, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus, verse 3, reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, he was cleansed of his leprosy. Can you hear the crowd gasp? It's one thing that he's talking to a leper. Jesus is going to touch the leper. I think people moved another six feet away and went, oh, this maybe he's crazy. Does he not know? Does the leprosy contaminate the Lord or does the Lord eliminate the leprosy with a touch? Obviously the latter, right? Okay. So he reaches out his hand and touched the man. As we look at these healings, I want you to notice there is no formula. Sometimes he heals with a word without touching. Sometimes he touches without saying anything. Sometimes he touches and says something as he does here. The next few healings we're going to see, each person I said in the note of the little email today, each of these people, as different as they are, they all have something in common. I'm just hinting for now. I am willing. Wow. That the, I can see the leper just going, whew. he's willing. I know he's able. It's not a question. I am willing. So he says, as he's touching the man, be clean. No magic formula. Right after the words, be clean, do you see the next sentence? After about five years, all of the leprosy disappeared with many treatments, creams, lotions. Is that what it says? Immediately. When I get to heaven, I'm requesting this DVD. I want to see this. I want to see the man like this, that fast. From the gross appearance to skin like a baby's behind everywhere. Right? Just beautiful. Immediately, he's cleansed of his leprosy. His whole life is going to change. Listen, who is this guy? Picture of sinful man. When you come to Jesus, sincerely bow to him and tell him you love him and that you know that he is God in human flesh and that he died on the cross and paid for your sins. And by faith, you receive him as your Lord and Savior. Listen, at that, at that moment, immediately you're cleansed. What do you mean? Forgiven. How much? A hundred percent. Yes, but still God had stuff to work on in your life, Joe. Absolutely. But at that moment, I was born again. So were you. Healed, forgiven, changed. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. 
This is interesting. Then Jesus said to him, verse 4, Shh, don't tell anyone. Uh, are you kidding? How hard would that be? First, go to the temple in Jerusalem and show the priests. It's, it's singular. Uh, show yourself to the priest, whoever they assign to you to check you out, and offer the gift Moses commanded. We're about to talk about what Leviticus 14 says is the little formula. I think you'll find it interesting. It's a picture of the gospel, believe it or not. Don't tell anybody, show yourself to the priest, offer the gift Moses commanded. As a testimony to, notice the pronoun, it was he, the priest, now it's them. What do you mean them? The religious leaders. Because this is not something that happened every day. Oh, another leper got healed, what do you know? They couldn't heal anybody, the Pharisees. There were other people claiming to be the Messiah. There wasn't any healings going on. If you were the priest that inspected this guy and the guy brought his family and they said, really, Harold was a leper, look at him. What's the next question? After they've certified, yes, he is healed. There's your little certificate. Who did this? Right? They have to check out Jesus. Now we know from the gospel, unfortunately, of Mark, that you know what this guy did? He got healed and he disobeyed Jesus. He didn't keep his mouth shut. He told everybody. Why would Jesus say, please don't tell anybody? As we said earlier, he doesn't want to be known as Jesus the healer because that's all that's going to go on. He'll never get to speak a sermon. Please heal my sister's lame leg and my brother's blind eyes, and right? But in compassion, he can't help himself because he's loving. Okay, what does Leviticus, uh, oh, by the way, Mark says he looked upon him, it's Mark 1, 14. He looked upon this leper, same healing, with compassion. He felt compassion for him, moved with compassion. The leper has never seen a face of compassion for a long time. He's seen people grimace when they look at him. And he's seen parents tell their children, stop staring at him. This man is so isolated, he has not been hugged, touched, kissed, had a handshake for a very long time. How do you know it was a long time? He's full of leprosy, according to Luke. It was against ceremonial law to touch a leper. Jesus touches him and makes the person clean. Jesus' clean, clean, cleanness sorry, is transferred to the leper. It's a beautiful picture. Jesus' perfect righteous record is transferred to the sinner, me, the leper, who came to Jesus, and he clean, cleansed me instantly. Same thing. Um, there's a few commentators, this is a weird thing, I'll throw it out there, who said it's possible Jesus took his leprosy when he touched him, just as he took your sin when you and I believed him, in him on the cross, he was taking our sin. I don't know about that. I, I like the first way better. Okay. So the thing Jesus, uh, well, one last thing before we get to that, telling the priests. Notice the guy says, if it's your will, you can heal me, right? So the question comes up. In fact, somebody emailed me yesterday saying that they were losing faith because they've been praying for 12 years for healing. 
and God hasn't done it. There are so-called Christian ministers, people on the radio, on TV, name it and claim it, the faith movement, um, the prosperity gospel, it's uh, the wealth and health gospel, it's known by various names. There's various people, wrongly, who say it's always God's will to heal. So, Harold, if you're a leper and you're not healed, if you're in a wheelchair, Harold, blind, deaf, dumb, have cancer, whatever, that's on you. You, Harold, don't have enough faith. That's a lie from the pit of hell, folks. Is it always God's will to heal? No. How do you know that? Well, Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, had a thorn in the flesh. Most people think it was an eye problem. Some say malaria, epilepsy. There's all kinds of theories. 2 Corinthians 12 says he, he asked the Lord three times, and the answer came back, no. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength, God tells Paul, is perfected in weakness. Maybe Paul would have gotten a big head if he'd gotten healed. We don't know why God didn't heal him. Paul says in one of his epistles, he left Trophimus sick in a city. My my latest, I want to say. Left him sick there. Paul, couldn't you heal the guy? I can ask God if God says no, or he says wait, we wait. Your will, this guy asks the right way. Um... Paul writes to Timothy in one of the two letters to Timothy and says, about your stomach problems, claim your healing. No. You know what he says? Take a little wine for your frequent stomach problems. Sometimes God doesn't heal. Sometimes he makes us wait, and then eventually he heals. Sometimes, even today, he heals instantaneously, just like this. It's not something we can know, but we can do what this leper did. If you're willing, you can make me whole, clean, well, free. We leave it in his hands. Ultimately, though, all sickness is paid for in the atonement of Jesus on the cross. Well, wait a minute, then why aren't we healed? Listen. In heaven, there's no sickness, no disease, no crying, no mourning, no pain, no death. It is healed through Jesus ultimately. Keep in mind, if I have a, I can't walk, let's say, and I'm praying, please, please heal me, please heal me, and it's such a big deal to me, God might heal me. But every healing, listen, is temporary. Every salvation, is permanent, which is more important. He may be saying, you're saved, Harold, don't worry. This will be a moment in time when you are sick. In heaven, you'll be healed forever. So uh, sickness is gone forever, along with pain, death, crying, mourning, all of that in heaven forever. Uh, we already talked about 2 Corinthians 12. Okay. Um, more could be said about that. Um, verse 4, he says, tell only the priests. I don't want to be known as a healer. 
in John 6, he's getting so much popularity, the Jewish people come to him and try to forcibly make him be our king. Do you remember? When he refuses a lot of them, okay, we're not following you anymore. Jesus will present himself as the Messiah when the time is right, a week before, roughly, his crucifixion. When's that? Palm Sunday. Rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, predicted that's how the Messiah is going to enter Jerusalem. At that point, it's the end of his ministry. He's saying, okay, here I am. Till then, don't tell anybody. Isn't it ironic? He tells the man, don't tell anybody. And he tells everybody, but he tells all of us Christians, tell everybody, go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples. Remember all that? We're supposed to be witnesses for Christ and we tell nobody because people might be offended or think we're stupid. Or Isn't that ironic? So the man, and you can't blame him in a way, he's healed. He wants to shout it from the rooftops. But if God just healed you and said one commandment, sort of like Adam and Eve, don't eat from that tree, and they did, his one commandment is, don't tell anybody, go to the priests. He told everybody. We don't know whether he went to the priests or not. Uh, maybe he did eventually. Um, Mark's gospel says, he went out and began to proclaim it freely, and then a few verses later it says, that the fact that he did that made Jesus have to hide and couldn't go openly. He had to avoid the city. And even then crowds came to him. Okay. Leviticus 14 is the prescription of God. If you're healed of leprosy, here's what's supposed to happen. Uh, we won't go there because it's a long passage, but there are two birds that are to be used. One bird is to be slain, killed, Jesus's death. The other bird is to be set free, resurrection. Blood is to be um, applied to the ear, the thumb, and the toe, indicating the need for faith in that blood of the bird that was killed. By the way, one of the birds is placed in a jar, Bodies, human bodies are called in the Bible, jars of clay. It's almost like saying the bird that's going to die and be resurrected is going to be in a human body. Beautiful picture. Okay, plus there's oil placed on the blood. That's the Holy Spirit symbolically in the Bible as well. So this guy gets an amazing healing. All of a sudden he can be around people again. All of a sudden, he's not contagious. Um, okay, let me just look at my notes. I think we're done with the leper for now, but what an amazing story. Okay, are you still awake? Say amen. amen. Okay, you guys on Zoom, are you awake? I see you. Okay, verse five, got a little time before the break. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Then Jesus said, shall I come and heal him? By the way, that can be, shall I come and heal him? There's no question marks in Greek. Or it could be, I shall come and heal him. That's what most 
uh, a lot of translation have it as a statement. I'll come and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. But you just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, do this, and he does it. I tell that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Oh, sorry, I tell this one, go, and he goes. This one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this. I misread it. Verse 10, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Verse 11, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the table at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the fathers of the Jewish faith, right? In the kingdom of heaven, but the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very moment. He just healed the leper by touching him and saying, I'm willing, be clean, right? Touch and speech, and he was present with the leper. He's healing now long distance, you might say, wirelessly, right? No connection to the servant, didn't even go to the house. Pretty amazing healing, pretty amazing faith. Capernaum is Jesus's headquarters for his ministry. He, uh, it's on the Sea of Galilee, by the way, uh, and it is his home base of operations and where he lived while he ministered. He does more miracles in Capernaum than anywhere else, and toward the end of his ministry, he pronounces, wait for it, a curse on Capernaum because they saw all those miracles and yet they rejected him, didn't believe in him. That's where he says, if the miracles that were done in you, and he says several cities, Bethsaida and others, and Capernaum, if the, those same miracles were done in Sodom, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. He pronounces a curse on them. So that's why Capernaum is mentioned, his headquarters. The hero, the faith hero of this story is a Roman centurion Gentile. All the Jews hated the centurions, hated the, the Romans. Rome had taken over Israel. A centurion was a Roman officer in the army. Very tough leader. A centurion, like a century, 100, was over 100 men under him. But there were people over him, higher rank. That's basically what he says about rank in a second. Um, let's see. Um, who's getting healed in this gospel? Um, the centurion says uh, to him, my servant. Do you see that? My doulos. That's a servant, a house servant, somebody that worked at his house. But in the parallel account in another gospel, he calls him his son. Now, you wouldn't have a son that's a slave, but you might have a slave or a servant that you've become so fond of, he's like a son. That's the compassion of the centurion. The leper comes and asks for a healing 
for himself. The centurion comes in compassion and asks for a healing for somebody else that he loves. It's a picture of prayer in a way, bringing the need to Jesus about somebody else. Okay. Um, a centurion, yeah, the Jews hated the, the Romans, especially in the army, the centurions. It's weird that centurions are mentioned in the New Testament a bunch of times, and every time they're spoken of as being very good moral people. Another centurion after the cross and the death of Jesus says, do you remember? Surely this was the son of God. Why is that so amazing? Because Romans were Gentiles. They didn't have the Old Testament. They weren't expecting a Messiah. They thought he was just some holy man, some carpenter. And they're professing faith like this guy. So this guy uh, comes to him on behalf of his servant, who is a, a young man, Pais, but possibly like a son to the person. Um, in Luke's gospel, the centurion sends Jewish friends of his to ask on his behalf about the healing to Jesus. Just wanted to mention that. Um, okay. Um, so he tells him the situation. Look, Lord, again, same word. My servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Is that a question? Will you heal him? It's just, this is the problem. Sometimes that's all we need to do. We think we're so smart, don't we? Here's what you should do, God. I'm in this situation, as if he doesn't know. Here's, this would be the best thing. You got a pen? He, this guy gets it. The centurion just tells him, here's the problem. My servant's at home, paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus says, I'll come and heal him. Or shall I come and heal him? Now, what's going on here with the centurion in verse 8? The Jews, it was not forbidden in the Old Testament. Get this straight. But they had a custom in their culture that a Jew would be defiled, become unclean and couldn't worship if he went into the home of a Gentile. What's a Gentile? A non-Jew. Okay, Whether he's Italian, Arab, whatever he is, Japanese, you, you were Jews. We can't go into the home. That was not in the Old Testament. That's a cultural thing. The Roman guy, because he knows some Jews and helped them build the temple, by the way, in their city, we learn in Luke, knows a little bit about the culture. Jews can't come into a, a Gentile's house. To save Jesus the trouble of having to travel to the house, we don't know how far away it was. To save Jesus the embarrassment of a Jew going into a home, this guy professes such faith. He says, you don't have to come. Under, I'm not worthy, humility, to, for you to come under my roof. Just say the word from here, wirelessly, long distance, and my servant will be healed. Doesn't have to touch him, no mumbo jumbo. He touched the leper. This is tremendous faith. No wonder Jesus marvels. Okay, but look at what he says about authority, and then we'll take our break. Verse 9. For I myself am a man under authority. That's the Roman, uh, the Roman centurion saying, I have people that can give me orders. I'm under 
authority of some generals in the army, if you will. But I'm also a guy with soldiers under me. He's got a hundred guys that he can order them to do anything and they'll just do it. In other words, in authority, the word is so powerful, you just say it and you don't even have to watch. Does it happen? It happens. But he's saying, he's not talking about an army. He's talking about God, isn't he? He's talking about the kind of authority that can heal long distance. That's a creative miracle, meaning creation. Like he, Jesus created new skin from head to toe on the leper, he's going to heal this man with new legs, arms, wherever he's paralyzed, it's all going to go away. I tell this one, go, and he go, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Verse 10, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. This is the only place where amazed is used in the New Testament. Usually, the other times it's used, it's people amazed at Jesus. The disciples are amazed Jesus can calm a storm. People are amazed at the healing, and the, we just saw it at the end of chapter 7. They're amazed at the authority with which he speaks, the brilliance of that sermon. This is the only time Jesus is amazed at something, and it's the faith, listen, of a Gentile a non-Jew who's not expecting the Messiah, it's an astounding amount of faith. Thaumatsu, amazed in Greek. Um, This is a hint in Matthew, you'll see it at the end more and more, that Jesus' ministry is not just to the Jews. Matthew 28, go into all the world and make disciples of one nation, the Jews. No, make disciples of all nations. It's a Gentile Jew thing. It's an international world gospel, not just for the Jews. Let's take our two-minute break right now and stretch our aging bones. There's cupcakes back there, and make sure you say hello to someone that you don't know. Those of you on Zoom, we'll be right back. I'll see you in two minutes. Oops. Welcome back to the Tuesday Night Bible Study. We are... In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 8, find your seats back there, if you will. Some good treats. Okay, so what's going on here with this man's faith? It's an amazing thing, isn't it? Uh, He says, uh, this is, uh, let's see. I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. Just say the word. My servant will be healed. Just speak it. If you speak it, it'll happen. This is, should remind you of when God, the Father, spoke and the universe leapt into existence, right? We're in Genesis in this church. Several weeks ago, we did Genesis 1. Let there be light. God just speaks and it happens, right? But we learn from John chapter 1, verse 1, that all, all things that were created were created by who? The Word, which is Jesus. So... This guy has tremendous insight into who Jesus is. You just say it and it'll happen. So, but there's something else. He knows he's not worthy. Great humility. So Jesus is amazed and in verse 10, he says, I haven't found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Shame on you. I know it doesn't say that, but that's what he's saying. You people, you Jews have the, Old Testament scriptures, which predict the Messiah will come and do miracles and speak great wisdom. And 
shame on you. You got the inside scoop. This guy's an outsider, a Gentile, a racial, if I will, if you will, a racial outsider. This guy gets it more than the Jews. But here it comes, the shocker, verse 11. I say to you, and that's his way of saying, listen up, this is really important. Truly, truly, I say to you. Uh, Verse 11. Many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. He's saying, people, here we are in Israel, people from the east and the west. And by the way, the north and the south. All nations, there's going to be people in heaven from all nations. Many of them are going to sit with the Jewish patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, the great feast. Some say it's the marriage supper of the lamb, chapter 19 of Revelation. He's saying many are going to come to heaven and that feast and sit and hang out with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's you, by the way, and me. You could spend couple thousand years with Abraham talking to him and then move on and we will have plenty of time. But this is the shocker, verse 12, the subjects of the kingdom, that's the Jews, will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is in Greek, present ongoing tense, weeping. They won't weep and then be burned up ongoing, eternal weeping and gnashing of teeth. Absolute, a way of saying extreme suffering, and also it's psychologically, it's unbelievable regret. He's talking about the fact that some Jews will not be saved. Why? They weren't nice people. Everyone, listen, is saved or sent to hell on the basis of one thing, and it's not sin. It's what did you do with Jesus? That's the whole thing. I don't believe in him. Then it doesn't matter how nice of a person you are. We're all sinners, right? They're going to hell. On the other hand, this guy was a murderer, but he came to Jesus. Sincerely, he'll be in heaven. What did you do with Jesus? The subject of the kingdom will be thrown, notice, outside. Who's the racial outsider? The the Roman centurion. Not anymore. He's an insider now at the table into the darkness. Now, hell is variously described as outside, meaning outside the presence of God and all things holy. It's talked about weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's described, listen, these sounds contrad- this, sound con- this sounds contradictory. Outer darkness, got the picture? And yet, fire. Why, well, how can you have fire with darkness? I mean, These are symbolic terms for suffering. Fire is uh, the burning of judgment. Darkness is the absence of light. Who's light? Jesus is the light of the world. God is light, right? This is an astounding thing. The subject of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. So then the centurion who's hearing this waits and hears, go. Let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. I picture the guy getting home and the servant's well. And he says, when did he get well? And they say, a little after 1 p.m. And he says, that's right when Jesus said it. Incredible 
power. Jesus doesn't have to touch. He doesn't have to be there. But the man's faith is rewarded, is it not? So a beautiful uh, picture. Jesus spoke more about hell than anyone else in the Bible. As a matter of fact, Jesus spoke more about hell than Daniel, Isaiah, Paul, John, and Peter put together. So what, Joe? It must be a real place, right? There are people that teach, Jehovah's Witnesses teach this, annihilation. Have you ever heard that? Hell is just, you get judged and you're burned up and you cease to exist. That's it. It's over. I kind of like that, but it's not true, unfortunately. We say in this Bible study, the good news for you as a Christian is the human spirit is eternal. You will live eternally because of Jesus in heaven with him and with God. The bad news for unbelievers is the human spirit is eternal. You'll live somewhere outside the presence of God because you said, no, thank you. I don't want Jesus. I'm not that bad of a person. I'll take my chances. Okay. The leper was a social outsider. The Gentile centurion was a racial outsider. The outsiders are in. And some of the insiders, the Jews, are out. It all comes down to what did you do with Jesus Christ? Okay, shall we move on? Verse 14. This is healing number three for those of you keeping score. We've had a leper and a centurion's servant or son. Variety of ailments, variety of ways that they're healed. Verse 14, when Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she got up and began to wait on him to serve him. That's the story. Very matter of fact, the centurion gets a bunch of verses here, several paragraphs. Poor Peter's mother-in-law just gets an honorable mention here, but it's a healing nonetheless. Would you agree paralysis is worse than a fever, right? Usually, a fever is your body heating up to kill something that's invading it in some way or another, your body's way of protecting itself. If I told you I had a fever, you probably would say, it, it'll pass, because they usually do. I don't know of anybody that's had a fever for 25 years or anything. All she's got is a fever. Why mention this? Because it happened. It's Peter's mother-in-law. Wait, who's Peter? You know. The apostle Peter, the leader of the apostles. In Catholicism, did you know that Peter is the first pope? Popes cannot be married. Oh, wait, Peter's got a mother-in-law, which means what? Hello, he's married, right? Anyway, Peter's mother-in-law, maybe she's a widow. She's living at the house. Maybe she's just there to meet Jesus. She comes down with a fever, maybe a really high fever. She's in bed. You ever had a fever or you had COVID maybe? After a fever, 
you don't just get up and jump around, do you? You feel like a just a worn out dish rag, right? That's been just beaten up. In any case, Peter's mother-in-law gets healed. Um, let's look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, so he comes into the house. He sees Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed. Did anybody say, go ahead, healer? He just is aware of the situation. Peter doesn't say, hey, could you check on my mother-in-law? Make her well, because then she'll go home. No, no, I'm sorry, mothers-in-law. Just kidding. Okay, sorry. I'm very sorry I said that. Okay, he sees her lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand. And what did he say, class? Nothing. Just touched her hand. The great physician can speak and have it happen, can touch and speak, or just touch. Do you see the variety of healing here? He's God. He can do it any way he wants. The fever left her, and here it comes. And after about six days, she felt better and got up and began to serve. Is that what it says? Immediately, she gets up and starts serving. This is a complete healing. All the healings, listen, of Jesus, just like all of the forgiveness, is instantaneous and complete. The leper wasn't healed just in his arm, but the rest of him looked horrible. He's healed completely. The servant that was paralyzed got up. And if you let's say he was paralyzed 10 years. Do you know what that means? If you got new arms and legs, you'd need therapy to learn how to walk again. Not that guy. Complete healing, right? When that centurion got back to see his servant, he was doing cartwheels in the front yard. He couldn't believe it. Is that true? I made that up, but I think you know what I'm going, where I'm going. Okay. Same thing with Jesus, with Peter's mother-in-law. She just gets up and begins to wait on him. What a good, proper response to a blessing from God. You think she was thankful? Absolutely. What does she start doing? Serving him immediately. When we come to faith in Jesus, that's what we're supposed to be doing. I can't tell you how you're supposed to serve. There's a thousand ways you can serve in a ministry, in a church, in a mission, and hundred, hundreds and hundreds of ways. Find one. Serve him. You owe him everything. You had the fever of sin. He touched you. It went away. Who's the woman? She is um, a picture of you are sick with sin in bed. Can't serve. Can't serve God when you're unsaved. Okay, what do the three have in common, class? They're all outsiders. The leper, social outsider. Can't be around anybody. The centurion, racial outsider. You're not a Jew. Jesus can't come in under your roof. You got a little problem with your paralyzed uh, slave, s- servant. The woman, wait a minute, she's a Jew, Joe. She's Peter's mother-in-law. She's an insider. No, not in that culture. The rabbis had a saying, ladies, you're going to hate this. Every morning they would get up and say, Lord, I thank you that I am not a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. Women were second-class citizens. Women could not testify in a court of law. Women usually couldn't own property. It's a man's world. You ever heard that James Brown song? Not for God. This woman is a gender 
outsider. And she identified as a woman because she was a woman. Okay, had to throw that in too. Um, she is an outsider and everyone is equal at the foot of the cross. In Galatians, I think it's chapter 3, 29 or 28, I never can remember. It says basically that at the foot of the cross, in Christ, there is no, listen, slave or free. That's social strata. A slave would be the lowest free. A free man would be, had money, had property. So there's social status. No slave or free. Um, Jew or Gentile, that's race is out. All races equally, male or female. Astounding thing in that culture. So he heals Peter's mother-in-law and she immediately serves him. Verse 16, when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him. Well, this is a whole new category now. Lepers, paralyzed people, people with fevers. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. All. I can't say that about my doctor. I don't know who your doctor is, but mine's not that good. Healed all the sick, every one of them. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Keep your finger here. We haven't done a detour yet. Go to Isaiah chapter 53. If you've been in this Bible study for any length of time, you know we go here pretty often. Isaiah 53, uh, Isaiah is roughly the middle of the Bible. If, if you, the middle of your Bible is Psalms, take a left and you'll find Isaiah after two. Uh, I'm sorry, Psalms, you would take a right, sorry, to go to uh, Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53 has been called the Holy of Holies of the Old Testament. It is a clear prophecy about a coming Messiah. Isaiah 53. Are you there? Say amen so I know you're awake. Amen. Okay. One person said she's very tired and she said, please excuse me if I fall asleep. I said, I'm used to it. In any case, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Verse 1. He grew up before him like a tender shoot. Notice it's he. By the way, every week in synagogue to this day, um, rabbis read from the Old Testament, and they have a schedule. Well, we'll go. We'll do Psalms this week, and Second Samuel this week, and Genesis this week, and they never, ever read Isaiah fifty-three in the synagogue, ever. Okay, he grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. Spiritually, a very dry place Israel was. The rest of verse 2 is the only place in the Bible where we learn anything about what Jesus looked like. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Translation, average looking guy. You see those, you go to a Bible bookstore and they have those framed photos of the unbelievably handsome Jesus with the perfect features and the blue eyes and the nice smile and probably not. Verse 3, who is this Messiah, Isaiah? He was despised and rejected by men. 
What? A man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. Do you know how he looked after they beat him up and whipped him? He was despised and we esteemed him not. Here's what Matthew quotes. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. Verse five, but he was pierced for our transgressions. Did you hear that? You mean pierced like, yes, pierced, pierced, pierced in the feet. Transgressions is another word for sin. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, another word for sin. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. From this, these two verses, by his wounds we're healed, and verse 4, he took up our infirmities and carried away our sorrows. Do you see that? Some the people I mentioned earlier, the faith teachers, the word of faith people, the name it and claim it people, they believe that you as a Christian can just name your healing and claim it. That you can speak reality into your body. You can say, there is no cancer in my body. And then when you go to the doctor, they'll go, I don't know what happened, but all the tumors disappeared. You can say, I know that I'm physically blind, but now I can see and you'll be able to see. And by the way, if it doesn't work out, it's your fault you don't have enough faith. That's what they say. Or you don't have enough sin, uh, enough, uh, you have unconfessed sin, sorry. Enough sin. In any case, what's the story here? The context is, listen, spiritual. How do you know that? Because he's talking about pierced for our transgressions, which is sin crushed for our iniquities, which is sin. The punishment that brought us peace, the cross, was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed, spiritually healed, born again. When Peter, in one of his epistles, quotes this passage, he equates it with salvation, not physical healing. Think logically with me for a minute. Let's say they're right. And a part of the atonement of Jesus on the cross is that every single one of us and every single sickness, disease, and injury can be healed instantly if we have enough faith. Number one, if there are those who have the gift of healing, why don't we get them in our car and take them to every hospital in the area and empty the hospitals out. Number two, if a believer is supposed to be healed of every sickness forever, why aren't there any believers that are 900 years old, 300 years old? 150 would be pretty good, right? Why, even if they're healed, do people get older, right? I mean, Come on, look at me. Anyway, the reason is because we are still in a fallen creation where there is sickness and disease and injury and persecution and sin all around us. That's the result of Adam and Eve's sin. Every single human being dies of 
their last disease or their last injury, right? What about the rapture? Okay, you got me. That's different. Amen. There will be people alive when Jesus returns, poof, that don't die of their last disease or their last injury. It's an exception. But God loves you and will do the best thing. If that's healing, he will heal you. If it's keeping you in that condition for whatever reason, to teach you something, to draw you nearer to him, I know myself, this is not something I'm proud of. I pray more when I'm in a storm, when I'm sick, when something's going on. When everything's great, I, I should pray more then. I, I don't know if you're the same way. He sometimes keeps people in sickness to humble them for some reason. Maybe it's the case that we look forward to a world where there is no sickness, in a world of sickness, to, and it gives us greater appreciation for the one that made that possible. I don't know. Um, but ultimately, every sickness is healed in heaven, never to return again. As I said earlier, every healing is temporary, right? In any case, um, let's see, do we want to keep going with that? Yeah, let's look at, uh, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2, shall we? You're still awake, aren't you? Barely, okay. 1 Peter chapter 2, toward the end of the Bible, about six books from the end. 1 Peter 2, verse 24. Um, let's pick it up in 22. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. There's nothing there about sickness. It's spiritual, as I said earlier. Now go the other direction and go to Psalm 103.3. Or just listen because we're only going to be here a second. Psalm 103 just outside the top 100. Psalm 103. Um, praise the Lord, O my soul, verse 1. All my innermost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Again, the, the most of that context is spiritual, not physical. Might he heal you? Has I, have I seen it happen? Absolutely. Might he make you and I wait? He might, right? My grace is sufficient for you, says Jesus. In this world, you have tribulation. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Um, we already talked about that and that. Um, okay. We're moving on. Verse 16, demon-possessed people. What's a demon? There's always someone in the room that doesn't know, so I'll tell you. There's the devil, Satan. You know about that, right? Fallen angel. When he fell, he took a third of the angels with him. They are other fallen angels called demons. They're evil. 
They had a free will choice and they chose, I don't want God, I'm going with Satan. I think I'll have a better position with him. They are on the earth to wreak havoc, mostly against believers. If you think demons must be in those bars where there's fights and people getting drunk and people sleeping around and not so much. They're already on his team. They may check it out and enjoy it. Demons like to bother Christians like you, like me. You get a bullseye painted on your back. If that scares you, it shouldn't because greater is he that is in you, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, than he that is in the world, Satan or demons. They're fallen angels. They will be punished forever in Revelation chapter 20, along with Satan. Um, the fact that he has power over sickness, we have seen. But verse 16 says, demon-possessed people, and we'll see other ones in the book of Matthew, by the way, are brought to him, and they are, he drives out the evil spirits with a word and heals all the sick. Okay. I've talked to Christians occasionally who are worried I might be demon-possessed. Are you a Christian? Do you believe in Jesus? Yes, I believe in Jesus. He's my Lord and Savior. Impossible. By definition, when you receive Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you. The Holy Spirit, living inside of you, doesn't want a roommate. Okay? So when Satan comes knocking, the Holy Spirit says, I live here. Get lost. That's why for a Christian, not true for a non-Christian, for a Christian, the Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's why for a Christian, we can put on the full armor of God, Ephesians 6, which we studied three months ago in this church. Um, Satan likes easy targets. Um, but how, you ask, do people get demon-possessed? Are they all unbelievers in Jesus? Yes. There's no demon-possessed person in the New Testament who is a believer. There are demon-possessed people. They're not Christians. They become Christians, but they're not Christians. Okay, so can any demon inhabit any unbeliever that he wants? No. No. Walter Martin, Dr. Walter Martin, he's dead now, used to say that the doorknob to your spirit is on the inside. Satan, a demon, cannot grab your door and force it open. But people can let him in. You say, well, how do they do that? Deuteronomy 18, the occult. Partial list just off the top of my head. Um, seances, um, deep uh, transcendental meditation, heavy use of drugs, um, Ouija boards, um, going to see a fortune teller or tarot cards, or there's a hundred other occultic practices that seem innocent enough. I just went to a fortune teller and listen, they're fakes. They're doing what's called cold reading. We won't go into that now, but it's a real thing where you're telling them stuff and you don't realize you're telling them and they're telling you stuff that's so general that you're looking for an answer that you go, oh, you mean, and they go, yes, that's what the spirit is saying. Malarkey, that's the Jewish word for that, um, the Hebrew word. 
Okay, those people invite Satan in. And once he's in, they can't get him out unless Christ casts them out. How can he cast them out? He's greater than, more powerful than, has more authority than, and authority over demons or even Satan himself. Enough said there. Um, let's see. Uh, okay, and he healed all the sick. That's incredible. And, and that fulfills the Isaiah passage. Notice that he did that to fulfill that. Did he take up our infirmities and heal and bear our diseases? Yes. When was that fulfilled according to verse 17? When he was on the earth. Is he still doing that now? Meaning all disease he's healing now? No. In heaven? Yes. Now? No. Verse 18. When the crowd, when Jesus, sorry, saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Did you hear that? That is unlike every televangelist, every rock star, every actor. When they see the crowd, they go toward the crowd for the adoration. Get the spotlight over here. Here I am. Jesus sees the crowd and goes the other way. It's time to go. I've got other places to go. Isn't that interesting? He's not in it for the crowds. He's in it um, to heal people, and he's got other missions. It's time to teach the disciples. What's he going to teach them about? We'll introduce this subject. We may not get to it. He's going to teach them about following him and counting the cost. What do you mean the cost? I thought salvation is a free gift from God, right? Grace, yes. But there's a cost. You might have to give up some things. I like my drugs, but I want to come to Jesus. I want both. You've got to give it up. I like hanging out with these guys, and we just have a party, and we have girls over, and you might have to give that up. I like my job uh, as a bartender. You might have to give that up. As a prostitute, as a drug dealer, probably have to give that up. Count the cost. Then a teacher, verse 19 of the law, came to him and said, so he's given the orders, let's get in the boats, boys, we're going to the other side. Okay? A teacher of the law comes up to him as they're getting in the boats and says, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Pretty bold, self-confident, sure of himself thing to say. I'll follow you wherever. Jesus says, verse 20, sorry, count the cost. Does he say that? Not in so many words, but that's what he means. Watch. Jesus replied, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the son of man, that's his favorite title for himself, has no place to lay his head. Does that mean he was penniless? No. Does it mean he doesn't have a home? Yes. I have no place to lay my head. Now, if you're on vacation and you go to the Hilton to check in and they go, we, we don't see your name here, Mr. Johnson, and, you have, and there's no vacancy, for that night, you have nowhere to lay your head until you find someplace, right? But at home, you have a home, if you were home. Jesus is saying, I don't have anywhere to lay my head. 
on the whole earth. I don't own property. I'm not renting a house anywhere. You better understand, following me means living like me. We're on the road here. We're not in it for the money or the prestige. There's persecution. You better count the cost. Foxes do have dens and birds have nests, don't they? God teaches the animals how to make a house, right? Jesus lives such a simple, faithful life in his father that he would provide for him. My dad used to say, how much is enough, right? And the answer is, for a lot of people, a little more. And then when they get a little more, do you know what they say then? A little more, right? Jesus says, whatever I have is enough. Another disciple says, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. What? The first disciple, so-called, the scribe, must have thought, I'm a scribe. I'm a learned man. I copy the Old Testament. I know the scriptures. He's got a bunch of fishermen here for disciples. If I get in with this group, I'm gonna, I might get vice president appointment like Kamala Harris. Okay, never mind that. Um, he's thinking I'm going to get a cabinet post here with this guy, not counting the cost. So the second disciple says, first, let me go bury my father. If you're thinking, oh, the poor guy, his dad just died, you're wrong. His dad's alive. This means, we'll talk about it more next week. This means I'm willing to follow you. The first guy said, right now, I'll go anywhere. There's no record he went with them, by the way. He just sort of melts into the background. The second guy says, I'm willing to follow you, but not yet. My dad's wealthy. When he dies, I get my share of the estate. I'll be a little more financially secure. Then I'll follow you. But the Bible says today is the day of salvation. We'll talk more about that next time we're out of time and most of you are asleep anyway. Let's go ahead and pray and we'll get out of here, shall we? Thank you, Father, for this time we could spend in your word, always fruitful. Here we see the outsiders, a leper, a Roman Gentile centurion, a woman being loved on and healed by you. We see people needing to count the cost and we'll talk more about that next week. But God, we see the unbelievable power your son had as God in a human body. What problem do we have, Father, that's too big for you or for Jesus? Answer, none. Why do we worry? Help us to say, as was said earlier, if you're willing, you can make me whole. You can make me clean. If you're willing, you can say the word and I will be healed spiritually and maybe even physically, God. And, and if you do heal and you do physically, what a glorious thing. But if you don't, help us to never lose faith, Father. For you do what is best according to your will and all things work together for good to us who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. How can we miss as long as we stay with you, Father? Thank you for being here with us. Thank you for this time in your word. We pray all these things in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Make sure you say hello to someone you know or don't know. 
and grab a, grab a treat on the way out. Those of you on Zoom, God bless you. Thank you for being here. See you next time.